Last Sunday, on your behalf, I had the great joy and privilege of welcoming 39 new persons into the membership of the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. Today, it is my sad task to say goodbye on your behalf to four families who this week have been called to other ministries beyond the boundaries of this particular parish. We're always glad when God sends us people, but after we get to know them and love them and enjoy them in our community of fellowship, it's always a sad task to say goodbye. The Wintrells moved to Cleveland on Friday. The Stanley Bennett family leaves this week for new ministry in Texas, as does the Zane Hensley family. They've been with us only a short time, but already God has called them to a new area of endeavor in Texas. And we say goodbye today to Deacon Randy Wood and his wife Carol and their children. I want to say a special goodbye to this deacon of our church, Randy and Carol, who right before me this morning. Strange to see you sitting in here, Randy. Randy's one of our deacons who's responsible for so many areas, the audiovisual and the radio ministry, and one of the guys who does the counting of your heads every Sunday, and also is one of our head ushers this year. Carol's been in Women's Association, taught church school, and is one of the faithful St. Barnabas volunteers. They joined church many years ago in my ministry. We wish you Godspeed. As you go to the new area to which God has called you in Detroit, we know you're going to be back soon. Godspeed. Join with me now as we read from God's Word, Romans, the fifth chapter, first five verses. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. I've never had the privilege or the honor of meeting him, but I sure like the way he dresses, talks, acts, and writes. I refer to Coach Tom Landry, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboy football team. He's that dapperly dressed man who seems always to have confidence under the pressure of the game of football, which many of us love. You've seen him on television. Maybe some of you have read about him. One of the great consolations we Pittsburghers have who had a secret hope that Tony Dorsett would wear the colors of the yellow and the black of the Steelers. We have some rejoicing in knowing that this great man, who I'm sure will be one of the greatest football players in the history of the game, will be playing under the tutelage and dedication of Tom Landry.
Tom Landry's a Christian, and he professes it in and out of church. His Christian faith is a part of his everyday activity. And like the late Vince Lombardi and men like Bart Starr, Tom Landry is a believer, a believer in the philosophy that the quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to his commitment to excellence. Unless, unless you have a commitment to excellence, it is his theory that you will not have much quality in your life. And I agree with him. Commitment to excellence, that is the key for destiny. I'm not quite sure what all the coach would put into his formula for coming up with a commitment to excellence, but I believe scripture teaches that there are several components that go into this high ideal of achieving excellence. One, I think a person has to have a belief, a belief in a productive creativity. This is a belief that people and things are created for a purpose. There is a purpose in all creation. God does not create anything without giving it a purpose. The sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the animals. All of these have purpose, and so does individual life. You'd be surprised the number of people who think that they have no value. But the Bible teaches every person is valuable in the sight of God. Some God gives ten talents, some five, but everybody, and I mean everybody, has at least one talent. And our job in life is to develop the one or more talents that God has given to us. Paul says it very clearly when he says that God is at work within us, giving us the will and the power to achieve the purpose for which we have been created. And I think if you're going to do anything well, you are to do at least that one or five or ten talents that God has given to you, and unless you do them well, you will not achieve any dedication to life or quality in your being. Now what this means, you see, is that you've got to get a good hold of yourself. And you must see that there is value in yourself. God's invested a tremendous amount in each one of us. He's taken nine careful months to create us. And however many days we have lived, that's the number of days God has invested time, talent, money, and effort in each one of us. As someone has said, God does not create junk, nor does he sponsor flops. We are people who have been born to win. We are people who are important in the sight of God, and though we may not believe in God, God believes in us. And he has a purpose for creating us. I want you young people to listen, as well as some of you who maybe are not so young, because no matter how many days you have lived, today is important in your life. And anybody can enhance this belief in productivity and in creativity for a purpose at any time.
It merely means a setting of one's mind of a belief in your own importance. What it means is that God created none of us just to sit on our rumps, to shoot speed, pop pills, smoke grass, or drink beer. Life's far more than that. And I wish we could get that message clearly not only to you people, <laughs> but to some of you back there as well. Because all of us could use a little better recommitment to the excellency of the life to which we've been called. And it begins with a belief, an unshakable belief, that we are creatures created to produce. Secondly, it takes a desire to want to do your best in whatever you do. My mother, and she's with us again today, has taught me since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. Those words of Lord Chesterfield, whatever is worth doing at all is worth doing well. Remember, Mom? <laughs> I still get it every once in a while. Whatever is worth doing at all is worth doing well. And I believe in that. I'm sorry to say, and some of you people when you go to college are going to run into professors of psychology and sociology that are going to be caught up in the current trend which is being taught today that that's not necessarily true. I don't know where these young guys get it, but you know there's a belief around that part of the problems we are suffering today in society come from what they call the 19th century Puritan work ethic, of which I guess I am a part, and some of you are too. Now that bothers me when I hear these guys poking at what I was taught to be true. I'm sure there's problems with perfectionism, real problems, at least psychologists tell us that. However, in my simple mind, I've never been able to reconcile that present-day teaching with the teaching of Jesus who said, Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's another sermon. But the idea of mediocrity is beginning to creep into our society. I just wonder if these 20th century teachers who are teaching that the ills of our society come from the 19th century Puritan work ethic. I just wonder, and how ironic it would be, if our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are taught in the 21st century that their problems stem not from the 19th century Puritan work ethic, but from the 20th century acceptance of mediocrity. When was the last time you took your automobile to a shop to get it repaired and they did it the first time? When was the last time you called a repairman and things were not worse before he had left the driveway than before he came? I went to a store in our community the other day. The store will remain nameless. It's not the one you're thinking about. It's another one. <laughs> I had to get a hickama jig. You know what a hickama jig is? Now, I granted, I'm not very good with my hands. However, I do think I can explain things very well. My business is words. But I went into this store and I went up to a chap who I think was supposed to be waiting on me. And I told him what I need. 
I said, do you have one? I don't know. I said, well, it looks like this. Do you think you have it? Maybe. I said, can we go look? And I led him to a display board where I thought several should be. I said, that looks like it. Oh. I said, do you have it in copper rather than in galvanized? Oh, I, I don't know. I said, you, could you ask somebody? Yeah, I, I, I guess I could. And this went on for about 20 minutes. And I left the store without any products, but with a blood pressure boiling by the second. And I was upset, not with that young chap, necessarily, but with a store, an employer, and a manager who believe in mediocrity and who did nothing, seemingly, to help a young person know excellence. Whatever you do, I don't care what it is. I hope it's legal and I hope it's moral, but whatever you do, do it with the best that you have in you. Whatever, whatever is worth doing at all is worth doing well. desire to do your best. Three, learn to accept defeat. I didn't say love defeat, no. Accept it. The person who loves defeat, who really wants to lose, who really is kind of inwardly happy when he fails. That person's sick. Stay away from that person. As I said, we're born to win. But... Also, we are not to be people who get sick because we've been defeated or failed or lost. No? See, that's why point three fits in with point two and why it's so important that you are always doing your best. Because you're going to get sick when you fail, when you goof, when you lose, if you haven't first of all done your best. You see, that's the only time when we can accept failure and defeat is when we know we have done our best. And when we know we have done our best, failure is not failure. We just have not attained whatever we want yet. It does not mean that we have failed. It means we have exercised faith. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It means that God has a better plan or a better idea. But there are a lot of people walking around, sick at heart, making themselves psychotically ill because of defeat, disappointment, grief, failure. The reason they failed is because they have failed to do their best. When you do your best, when you do your best and fail, Ladies and gentlemen, you're living then really on the pinnacle of your life. For somebody who has never failed in life, I feel sorry for him or her because that person has really not attained the potential which God has placed within you. 
It's only when you fail do you know, after you're doing your best, do you know that you are right there at the top of your creativity. You are operating on all 16 cylinders. You're living life as it should be. And if you've never known failure, you haven't even scratched the surface of the potential that God has put in you and is working out through you. So don't be disappointed when you fail. And the only way you can be that way is when you know you have done your best. Paul puts it very good. He says, really, if you've done your best and you're suffering, be thankful. Because that kind of suffering produces endurance, that type of endurance produces character, and that kind of character produces hope. And believe me, I have seen it. When somebody has done his best and has failed, not once, not twice, but many times, something comes into that person's life, the quality of which cannot come into a person's life unless he has learned how to fail. I'm not encouraging that any of us should deliberately try to fail, but if you fail after having done your best, hallelujah, you are at a great moment in your life. You have learned to accept defeat. Four, develop a tough mindedness. I borrow this from Coach Landry. He is a strong proponent of tough-mindedness. And tough-mindedness he describes as being maximally maximally I'll get it, to, hang on. <laughs> being able to operate under maximum, with maximum ability under maximum strain. Operating at maximum ability when you're under maximum strain. Now, he illustrates that you can see this best in those last two moments of a close football game where one, two, or three plays will make the difference between victory and defeat. For you non-devotees of football, those last two minutes of a close football game, you know, they take up 25 minutes of time by the time you get all the commercials and uh, everything in. But they are so important, and everything hangs on one or two or three plays. Coach Landry claims that his quarterback, Roger Staubaugh, is the greatest in the last two minutes of any football game. They make it look so easy. They're so confident. They are operating with maximum efficiency under maximum strain. That does not just happen. I understand that the teams spend hours and hours in preparation for those last two minutes of every football game. They think of every possible situation that they might find themselves. They think of the strategy for every possible position they may be in, and they practice, and they practice. They know what they will do under the greatest moments of stress. And that's why it's so important. They develop, you see, they develop through discipline, concentration, and creative thinking. They develop tough-mindedness. 
I wish we could do that in the church. I don't want to get morbid, but you know how we develop tough-mindedness? It's with the help of Scripture and in prayer we prepare for those moments that can come, those stressful moments in any one of our lives. Nothing is more tragic to me, and I deal in a lot of stress situations, than to see someone who's been attending church, supposedly knows the Bible, but when periods of stress come, they literally fall apart. Can't do much for them then. You see, they have no tough-mindedness. Spiritual tough-mindedness comes in the good days when you prepare for those times of stress and strain that will come. You see, you should think through now with the help of Scripture and, and Christian teaching what you will do when that phone call rings and you get the news that a loved one has died. Now you should be preparing how you will react and what you will do when a surgeon tells you there must be an amputation or radical surgery or you only have a few days to live. Now is the time, you see, to prepare what you will do when there's a knock at the door and a policeman tells me someone of your family is in trouble. All right, don't be so morbid, but now is the time you prepare when you will become the president of the corporation for which you're working for right now or become head of the department for which you are striving so hard. How will you react then? How will you be a person who will perform excellently the glory of God at that time? That's tough-mindedness. And the fifth point, lead with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. You know, it's real interesting. I didn't know until this week that that word comes from two Greek words, en and theos. It means in God. Enthusiasm is something which includes you in God and means that God is in you. Isn't that exciting? Inspiration, enthusiasm. This means in God or of God. And how our world needs enthusiasm today. No matter what you go into it, be it a home, a church, a job, whatever it is, you can go in with fear, you can go in with trembling, you can go in with anger, or you can go in with enthusiasm. And I suggest the latter. Because a commitment to excellence requires enthusiasm. And we need it in the world today. But enthusiasm, you see, is something not that can be sought. It cannot be taught. It's got to be caught. That's the only way it comes. You don't have to go to school for it. You are born within it. The Spirit of God has been given unto you, and it's not a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. Like that story of, of the young boy who came up to a very successful building contractor, and the contractor was standing on the sidewalk watching as his men and his company were erecting a new skyscraper, and the little boy said, Hey, mister, how can I become a success like you? The head of the company was rather pleased <laughs> and he said to his little boy or this little boy who was a stranger but he said it in the language of his trade you buy a red shirt and you work like crazy he knew the little boy didn't understand he reached down and he said look son 
and pointing up to the building which was building into the sky. He said, see that group of men up there working on that structural steel? Yes, said the boy. See that man in the red shirt? Yes, said the boy. I don't know that man. I don't know his name, where he lives, or where he goes to church. But I've been watching him work. And the next time I need a superintendent, I'm going to say, Hey, you in the red shirt, come down. i got a new job for you. And that's the way it's done. Go buy a red shirt and work like crazy. That's enthusiasm. Triumph. That's a great word. Comprised of two parts. Try and umph. And that's what it takes. I preach this sermon to you not just because the graduating seniors are here, but I think all of us at time need a recommitment to excellence. The world sadly needs it, and I'm very selfish because I say I need it. Some of you think that these sermons were preached for you. <laughs> I preach them to me. And if you think you disagree with the preacher sometime, you should hear me disagree with them. I need this, and I think you need it, and I think you need it too. Forgive the personal reference, but the special day in my life, last Friday night, my 20th anniversary being ordained the United Presbyterian Minister. Lord willing, I'm halfway through my ministry. And for some of you who might remember, forgotten the day, it was 17 years ago today, I stood in this pulpit for the first time and preached, perhaps this is the hour for which we have been born. I'm dedicating myself anew today, my God, my Savior, to you. By rededicating myself anew to a commitment in excellence. If you're with me in your life, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, you've been very good to us. You've been patient with us. But now we believe that the day of March has come. Father, help us to throw back our shoulders, lift up our voices, and go out into your world to be your people as we dedicate ourselves anew to you and to the excellency which you have for us in life. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon all of you and dwell in your hearts forever. Amen.